This week on the Sound on Sight Game of Thrones podcast, we're talking about Sons of the Harpy, Season 5, Episode 4, written by Dave Hill and directed by Mark Mylod. We'll be right back after this. Back to the Sound on Site Game of Thrones podcast. This is Kate Kalzik, TV editor of SoundOnSite.org, and I'm joined as ever by my wonderful co-host, general editor, general editor, co-creator, all that good stuff of Sound on Site, Mr. Ricky D. Ricky, how's it going? I'm good, Kate. I'm still looking for one of the missing Stark children, and I'm still trying to find out who the heck the Sons of Harpy really are, who's in charge of these dudes. I'm confused. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know that I know either, but we'll figure, we'll, you know, we'll talk it out, out see if we can figure figure out a solution or at least a fun theory joining us this week to talk about season four of episode five is my co-host from the televerse your co-host from sorted cinema and and of course the dearly departed sound on site podcast mr simon howell simon how's it going i'm all right uh, I, I I think you said season four, episode five, and you meant season five, episode four. Though. That is very possible. I did mean season five, episode four, regardless of what I said. This week, we don't need to have the caveat that we haven't seen future episodes, because at least as I understand it, there haven't been further leaks. I'm sure the HBO promotion department is very happy about that. Um, just as in the previous episodes, we only discuss the specific episode that we were talking about that week. That's what we're doing this week as well. Um, I have read the books. Ricky has not read the books and yet, but we're going to keep everything book, uh, reader friendly. So, you know, we'll have some discussion about how things may be different or how my perception may be different of certain characters based on having read the books, but there will be no spoilers. Um, Simon, have you read the books? Now, I don't read anything that's over about 275 pages long. I ain't got time. <laughs> well, um, I wanted to kick things off. Normally, we dive right in. But before we do that for this week's episode, I did want to mention we got some feedback at the website. A couple clarifications, because while I am of the, the, the group, I am the book expert, I am certainly not a Game of Thrones expert because it's been a while since I read them. So some of the, as, as we get further into the show, some of the details do slip my mind. So I wanted to thank Fiction Isn't Real and also uh, Jeff Trotter f for commenting at the website with a couple clarifications for us. Um, last week, I when I was talking about um, Needle, I mentioned that Needle was Valyrian Steel. Needle is not Valyrian Steel. You're absolutely uh, correct. Fiction Isn't Real. Um, I was thinking of... Um, I was thinking of uh, Brand's sword, not uh, not needle. Um, so thank you for that correction. Um, also uh, from from Jeff Trotter, the, the little clarification about the faith of the seven. Um, the those are the new gods when they talk about the old gods and the new. Um, th that is actually a monotheistic religion. So even though they talk about there being seven, they're considered um, again like in comparison to Christianity, the Trinity being one, like three aspects of one being or one God, the same thing is true with the seven. So they're right. So it's just like the father, the son, the Holy ghost, the neighbor, 
the guy standing in the archway. <laughs> the, the lady with the, the potluck. standing in the archway. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yes. So, so then I was sort of right, because that's why I brought up the whole Catholic religion. I thought it was sort of like the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, also, in terms of the, the sword, so is Brienne the only person right now that has a sword made of Valyrian steel? I believe Jamie has. So in this episode, is he carrying that sword? I don't think so. I mean, I want to say yes, because we saw ice get melted down. And fashioned into two swords. Right, but why would he take the sword with him into Dorne? Because then everyone's clearly going to know who he is. That's true. I'm not sure on that. Now, did he keep... He sent one with Brienne. Did he keep the other one? Because wasn't the other one a gift? Yeah. For the king? So I'm not sure exactly how that is. Listeners, again, please... I'm sure many of you have a much better memory of this than I do uh, right now. So please write in, leave a comment at the website, let us know, um, you know, cl- help us clarify that, that issue. But the, the, the Valyrian steel that we are seeing on a regular basis is Brienne's sword. Yes. Can we not just check the serial numbers? <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's not how it works. And so my last question is, this sword can cut through just about anything, including a dragon, right? It, they're pretty. They're pretty amazing. Yes, they are. They are of high Valyria, which, um, as I vaguely recall, ties them back to the yeah the the Targaryens and the 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 dragons. Okay, so I'm a betting man. So I'm going to put down my money on Brienne being the dragon slayer. Brienne's. I, I could see Brienne slaying some dragons. I mean, I don't necessarily want her to slay Danny's dragons because then Danny and Brienne can't just go be awesome ladies together. Um, because there'd be some hard feelings there, but yeah. I, I say that's true unless the dragon uh, is going after one of the Stark, uh, one of the Stark girls. In which case, uh, the dragon will eat her and then eat the Stark girl because it's she's been demonstrated as being unable to protect anything named Stark. <laughs> <laughs> well, Simon, did you hear my theory on how the show is going to end? It'll take one minute for me to tell you. I think Sansa Stark is going to take the Iron Throne. I think she is the one that's destined to rule. And I think that uh, clearly um, Daenerys and Tyrion, all these people are going to form alliances. But I think at the end of the day, she's going to lose control of those dragons. So whatever happens at the end of the show, those dragons are not surviving. Well, uh, I, have an, I have a new theory as of this week's episode. So should we talk about this week's episode? Let's maybe? do it. Let's do it. What do you, what's your theory? Uh, if, I had to, if I were a betting man, uh, as with uh, Mr. Littlefinger, and I had to guess who was going to wind up uh, ruling it won't be it won't be out of like force of will it'll just be out of everyone else drop dead and they've got the best claim uh i'm gonna go for the the baratheon kid um the daughter with the scarred face oh because uh, they specifically mention her uh, i mean it's, it, it, it just came to my mind but 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 he specifically mentions her her princessness in this episode and i thought huh that would be interesting now, is, is Shireen going to be married off to someone to solidify that uh, bond? Are we going to get, uh, maybe we could have uh, one of Robert's bastards if we want to go a little Targaryen with things? No, no, no. Let me be clear. Every other character <laughs> will be dead. No marriages, nothing. Everyone else will be Cinder. Then the dragons will have heart attacks. And then she'll be the only person left who can read. So she will get to have the throne. And we'll be okay with that because she's nice. So, exactly. So- it's sort of like a female Ultron, except she's sort Damn, of. Damn, some of us haven't seen Ultron and won't be able to for at least a week, so I'm okay, just going to stop you, you there. Know that you no, I know, know nothing about Ultron. 
<laughs> I've been la la lying my way through popular culture for a year. So I'm going to pause you there. If, if that's, that's right. okay, Ricky. It's it's don't don't worry. He he didn't spoil anything for you just then. I There's, spoiled the name of the movie. <laughs> the yeah, name of the movie. He just said Ultron. Yeah, that's Ultron, true. Ultron, Ultron. Well, anyway, let's get back to this episode, and um, I want to dive in because we talked about last week um, the introduction of the High Sparrow and what you know. We had a lot of discussion of the various uh, new religions and new sects that we were seeing highlighted this season. <laughs> Sects. <laughs> Yes, yes, Simon. Um, anyways, uh, we get a lot more with the Sparrows this week, and they are quickly establishing themselves as a uh, very extreme fundamentalist uh, religious sect here. Now, uh, what do you guys think about Cersei's uh, empowering of them in this episode? Because, you know, they, they the first three episodes of the season, they really seemed like they were trying to build her up and make her a more sympathetic figure, a more relatable figure that we could at least, you know, have some sort of a connection with. Um, they, they could, like, rehab her a little bit uh, after her some of her decisions in the previous season. But after this episode, I mean, she just seems like she's off the deep end. <laughs> Sects. No, but um, it's clear that, she, uh, I would say, when you say off the deep end, you mean in terms of uh, of of her relatability or in terms of her going insane? Because it's clear that what she's doing is incredibly canny uh, in terms of she sees a threat and she does sort of the classic Machiavellian move of, uh, well, I don't want to try and beat you, so how about you come join me and I'll direct you towards my enemies in a, in a, in a very calculated way. Whether or not that's going to work in the long term, I'm going to guess no, but uh, it, it seemed classically Circean to me. See, but it doesn't, there's a difference to me between it being a calculating, it's a very calculated move, but this feels more like a um, little finger. She wants, she, she doesn't care if the city's destroyed, she's going to be queen of the cinders. Yeah, clearly she is desperate to cling on to any power that she can find. I don't know if she feels. Like she's forming an alliance with the High Sparrow because she's afraid of losing any kind of power to him because she doesn't really have power. Her son technically is the ruler of the kingdom. I think she's just trying to find the easiest way to get back at Marjorie and by forming this sort of alliance with High Sparrow and pretty much throwing her uh, 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 Loris Loris Tyrell under the bus. I mean, here's the thing. When she had that conversation with the High Sparrow, I think he said, like, when she was when she was talking about the sinner, he specifically said he or him. Uh, and I was like, okay, so clearly she's not referencing or thinking of Marjorie. And so the first thought I had was Loras. Given how certain religions view homosexuality, right away I knew that this would happen. So it's kind of weird. Like, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I just think that, uh, I don't think she's going crazy. I think she's, she's playing whatever card she has in her hand. And, um, I think she's desperate clearly, but at the same time, I don't think, I don't think she's actually making necessarily a bad move for her. Like, I don't know how she will be affected by the, this, the, the high sparrow and the faith militants presence. Like, it'll affect people around her, but her specifically? I don't know. But then again, they, there were people calling out King Thomas on the streets, calling him, like, a bastard and an abomination. So clearly, the rumor that he is the son of 
Jamie and Cersei might not go well in his favor and or her favor. Well, and if the city is um, full of unrest and it's not safe and the people aren't happy, they're going to follow that through to their king. They're not going to say, oh, it's that Marjorie lady. It's, you know, she's been, she's beloved by the people. So that's not going to, you know, end up causing any problem for Marjorie. That's just going to, you know, hurt that that entire family. Like what is, obviously Tom improves himself in this episode, ineffectual and, um, you know, he's going to have to eventually here make a decision or just basically get himself killed because he's so useless um and so how do, i don't understand how this helps her son and all of her power comes through her connection to her son she doesn't really see it's weird but she doesn't seem that invested in tommen to me like yeah is, is that just me like she maybe it's because he spends all his time with marjorie but she doesn't really seem to give a flying fuck what happens to tommen no not really because she she views him as weak if she had a favorite son, her favorite son would have been King Joffrey, despite the fact that he was a monster, because he was strong enough to be a ruler who was at least feared and would get the job done and keep her and her family in power. It's more about the family name. It seems like it's more a matter of pride. Although I do think that she, at least in the show that I'm watching, she has shown her care for her daughter, but I've never really, really seen it for her son, her youngest son, that is. And that's why I say, to me, it feels like she's off the deep end, because everything previous has been very much couched in, I need to protect my family, I need to protect my children. This is all about helping the the family and helping maintain their position. And in doing what she does here, she endangers her son. She, I mean, We do see that connection with Marcella. She, is, she has that extra connection with Marcella's experience because she was similarly shipped off to just marry somebody, and we know how she feels about that. Yeah. But she, regardless of likes and cares about, I think she does, um, as a son, she likes, uh, she cares for Tommen, but she needs him. Without him, she has nothing, and we don't see that at all in her behavior, and it's very odd to me. Yeah, but the thing is, she's she's thinking of the quick solution, and she's thinking of in the moment, right? And so in the moment, basically, it's Marjorie's brother that gets kidnapped. It's Loras who's held prisoners. She's not going to interfere. She can sit around and drink wine all day long. She doesn't care. King Tommen doesn't care. And so the thing is, she knows that Marjorie's going to want that's going to want to want to free Loras, not her. Which means that Marjorie is going to therefore find conflict with the high sparrow because she is clearly going to try to find a way to free her sibling so like how does it affect cersei right now like right now yeah it's a very short term but again to me it does feel like let's burn let's let's make some chaos and see what happens because this isn't you know yeah, the, the funny thing is she's talking to the high sparrow and she's like what if i told you a great sinner was right here in our very midst. And I'm like, yeah, like you for starters? <laughs> like what is like what is she yeah. doing? Yeah. I but I definitely agree with you, Kate. This uh incest and homicide loving maniac has definitely just gone off the deep end. <laughs> <laughs> well fair enough. Let's uh let, let's let's move on to some other characters who have homicide on the brain. And those are the sand snakes, which um I feel confident saying they're fan favorite characters. I enjoy them quite a bit from the books. Um and I know that I've been very much looking forward to them showing up on the series. They make their first appearance in this episode. 
I've been excited to see them pop up ever since they announced that Keisha Castle Hughes, who of course I always remember as being so wonderful and whale rider, um, was going to play one of those characters. What did you guys think of their brief introduction here? Uh, I mean, I thought it was a little bit silly with the, the you know the reveal of the head and then the head gets speared and it was it was very much like let us write a badass introduction so that you will care about this character. It felt very sort of writerly, which is fine. Uh, not having read the books, I have no attachment to the characters, um, nor to really the whole Dorn plotline right now. Um, so if, if it was supposed to make me, like, super fascinated in that side of it, it didn't really work. But, I mean, it was one scene. Um, I loved it. It sort of reminded <laughs> me of, like, an outtake of, like, a Mad Max movie. I especially love the fact that they each have their own chosen weapon. We get a bit of a backstory about the Sand Snakes and how they became these warriors and how they each have a specific skill and a weapon. And so Obara is clearly skilled with the spear. As we see in this episode, she takes the spear, she throws the spear and lands right on the poor merchant's head. And then I think it was Nim, who's the one whose weapon of choice is the whip. And she looks like she's like Indiana Jones, only like mixed with some warrior from a Joss Whedon show or something. Um, But like, I don't know, like, I'm really excited to see more of these characters because we do get that fantastic sword swinging action set piece early on in the episode with Jamie and Braun. And just the idea of knowing that Jamie and Braun are most likely going to face the Sand Snakes leads me to believe that we're going to see one of the best action set pieces yet on the show. So I don't know how you cannot be excited, Simon. (laughs) That was like a pretty awesome uh, sequence. I think it's been demonstrated that I am insane uh, on multiple occasions. But, I mean, sure, that's going to be a great fight scene if and when that happens. I just don't really care about them as people yet. Fair enough. It's only been one scene, so we'll have to, you know follow that as it develops. I'm also just glad that we're getting more in Dear Varma because um, I really liked her, what we got from her last season with uh, with the Red Viper. And so um, when he, you know, the unfortunate event that happened with him, I was disappointed that the actress, because she's been cast in many different things where she's not given anywhere near enough to do and she, yeah, as an actress is just wasted. So I was very glad to see that she's actually going to get some material this season it appears any other thoughts on dorn do we want to talk about jamie and braun you know what we get with them this week well i just want to cut in and say that you say you just don't care about them as people yet and i don't really think we're ever going to really have a chance to get to know these characters and care about them this late into the series i mean we're like almost halfway through season five there's only going to be seven seasons of this tv show in theory well in theory but i'm just excited to see these characters because they are enemies, or at least their hatred is aimed towards the Lannisters. And so I'm in the hate club for Cersei Lannister and her people. I want King's Landing to fall. So you're in the hate club for Tyrion? Tyrion, I don't consider him a Lannister. He's not anymore. Well, so... and he's on the, you know, overthrow King's Landing team now because he's theoretically headed to be an ally of Danny's. Which yeah. takes us to Danny, and in my head also takes us to Sansa a little bit, because with the Sand Snakes and again that long uh, feud between them and the Lannisters over the death of Elia Martell, of course the wife of Rhaegar, 
uh, we also get a lot of discussion of, of Rhaegar, both with uh, Sansa and Peter and with Danny and Sir Barristan. Do you guys have any thoughts on that? Um, did you enjoy those scenes? Because I couldn't help but key into that connection there. But I don't know that that's nec- – I mean, those scenes could have been in there for that purpose, but I think they're also – key to show us really where these different relationships are right now. It's nice to get a little time with, for example, Sir Barristan before the climactic battle at the end of the episode. Which, but, but I'm just going to throw my hat in the ring of he's not dead. Um, I don't just, I, I watched that fight scene a couple times and he is uh, badly wounded, but I think he'll probably pull through. I'm just going to out. I may be proven wrong in eight days, but uh, it's funny because uh, Kate said the same thing too before we started recording. I don't think the director or show or writers or I don't think they wanted us to think he was dead. Like, I mean, this is a show that isn't afraid to kill off characters. I mean, I could see him like sputtering out at by the end of the next episode, but I just I'm, what I'm saying is I see him pulling through at least for a while. He he does get like gut stabbed, which is not good, uh, but. I feel like you don't have uh, Grey Worm save him from getting his throat slit and not keep him alive for at least a little bit longer. Anyway, um, I, I I don't really think about the the backstory stuff. Like whenever, honestly, whenever they bring up Rhaegar or the Mad King, I kind of tune out. Because, oh, they're back to talking about characters we're never going to meet because they've been dead for a long time. Uh, so, ad- admittedly, I, I kind of tune that stuff out. Uh, I know that makes me a bad viewer. But uh, in in terms of um, the the I mean the the major scene where that comes up that that comes to mind for me is uh, the Sansa and Littlefinger talk. And uh, here's an earnest question: uh, Littlefinger can save the Seven Kingdoms or bang Sansa. Which does he do? Oh, bang Sansa! Not even close. Okay, just checking. That is his priority of those two options. Ricky, what do you think? Um, I actually think that this whole entire episode was designed to give us the backstory of Rhaegar and the Mad King. And like last week I was talking about weddings and how this whole entire series has revolved around one wedding after the next. And right away from the first episode, they were talking about the, the possibility of King Joffrey or at the time Joffrey marrying Sansa. Right. So even on the very first episode, we had talk about two children getting married, arranged marriages. And in this episode, It brings me back to what I was talking about last week, where every single problem on the show relates to some sort of marriage and or arranged marriage. And so in this episode, we do get the backstory of Rhaegar and what exactly happened. And because he chose what's-her-face and not what's-her-face, that is why the wars broke out. See, that's what the backstory sounds like to me, just by the way. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, like I was saying last week, Simon... What this show teaches us is that getting married is like the worst thing you can do. But but I, I, I did like the bit of backstory about Rhaegar because we get it in two different scenes in two different ways told by two very different people to very to two very different people for very different reasons. You know, in the case of Peter Baelish telling Sansa because she's staring at the statue of her great aunt. I think it's her aunt, right? Mm-hmm. Liana. And then we have it later on when Danny's told the story of uh, Rhaegar and and uh and how he used to love to sing in the streets and he had a great voice i'm not sure why he would beg for money that didn't make any sense to me i think you know that's because he's was, being was, a busker a, a street musician so it'd be weird if he didn't have a cap out you know he wanted to know if he was any good okay but was he in disguise when yeah, he yeah. Was... Okay. yeah okay yeah, that's what i thought so he, he wasn't was... just like it's the prince 
<laughs> Give me like, your money. Pretend you don't notice. <laughs> yeah, though, though maybe that's maybe he didn't actually have a good voice, and maybe Barristan Selmy is just tone deaf. Um, and everybody knew it was the prince, and that's why they gave him the money. Or it could just be nostalgia you know. playing tricks on you. Who knows? But, but the, I... these star children, it's like everyone's also trying to rape them. Like, Millicent is trying to rape Jon Snark over at the wall. <laughs> Jon Snark. <laughs> Jon Snark. <laughs> Slightly different. Um, I, no, she's trying to seduce him. There's a difference there. What did I call him? Yeah, you called you him John Snark. John Snark, which I'm now always going to call him in my mind. Uh, can, can we talk about Melisandre for a second? Because I'm sure I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again. Uh, I love Carice Van Outen so much. Um, but I really, really wish that Melisandre was interesting because she still isn't. And I, I, I like that she's getting a little bit more to do, and she's less sort of overtly uh, sort of cackly evil than she was in past seasons. But I still don't care about her or dumb God. Is that just me? <laughs> when you say when you say she has a little bit more to do, you mean she has a little bit more clothes to take off? Like no, what, like she, what is she doing differently that she hasn't yet already done she, on the show? She's interacting with more characters and not just with Stannis. But uh, in the exact same way, she's trying to rape Jon Snow. The exact same way she tried to seduce Stannis, and then therefore putting some kind of like voodoo spell on him so she can send a shadow assassin to assassinate the Roose Bolton character. Um, just could we not say that she's trying to rape John? Because there are people on this show trying to be raped. So if we could just crowbar okay, separation well, the there. Thing is, the reason why I use that word is because because she is a witch, I just thought that she, despite the fact that he said I'm not interested in visions and seeing your magic, it kind of felt like she was trying to put a spell on him. Okay. Like, maybe I'm wrong, because I'm just like, she knows what kind of person Jon Snow is, and maybe that's not the case, or maybe it wasn't well executed, like the scene, the way it was directed and the written, but I'm just like, if she's going to walk into his, like, office, <laughs> which is so weird, he's doing paperwork, and she's going to, like, right away take off her clothes and jump on him, she must think that she has some kind of, like, spell over him. That is a pretty brazen method of seduction, I, I would say. But it seems like it's been effective for her in the past. That, like, that that's... What yeah. at least that's how it's presented. She's like, yeah, uh, look at this. Come on. Maybe with a guy like Stannis, but come on, Jon Snow. <laughs> well, um, yeah. I, I mean, I think that that you know nothing, Jon Snow. End of the scene is spooky. It's effectively spooky. Um, but I don't think she's helping her case with that. Though, if her she's trying to get him to be more of a believer in things, you know, in in um, her abilities or the fact that she has powers of some sort that he doesn't understand, that would be effective. But if she's trying to get him to be willing to sleep with her, that is not going to help. I, I just hope that there exists a take where she walks out and says, you know nothing, Jon Snark. Damn it! <laughs> well, <laughs> Jon Snark is delightful. Um, I'm going to Peter Baelish. Yeah, I'm going to quickly move us back to Baelish to say I can't really express much of an opinion on certain things about um, certain of the scenes in this episode. But what I will say is that I'm enjoying listening to Simon and Ricky's different takes on some of them. And um, I think that the way that they're using Sansa, because this material with Sansa and, and Baelish is completely new. This is not in the books. And so the way that they're using those two characters and the kind of material they're giving them and how they're 
repositioning the stuff with the Boltons in Winterfell and everything, and that some of the connections they're making in a scene like the one we get with uh, Littlefinger and and Sansa, I think, is very interesting and a very positive sign for what the show will be um, when they eclipse the at least the plot of the books. Um, I said earlier, I made a joke about Baelish and wanting to bang Sansa and all that. Uh, having said that, though, I kind of think that he doesn't, <laughs> like in a, in a strange way, or at least, or at least he uh, he is restraining himself, perhaps more than than we would expect. Well, it's uh, because she needs to be a virgin in order for her to have like a greater value to the king. I don't think it's just that. I think that no, but he, that was stated last week. Well, and I think she also wants him. He, I think he also wants her to choose him because there's all that baggage of uh, her mom choosing Ned. Uh, yeah, I think there's that, but I think more, uh, I think that he, he, he clearly idealizes her and thinks that she, you know, she is the, the, the new incarnation of, of her mother and, uh, and he doesn't want to sort of sully this, the sort of mental purity of that, uh, as, or he, or he does, but only a little. <laughs> yeah. what, you're trying to, what you're trying to say is that if he sleeps with her, then she will no longer be special. That's what makes her special in his eyes? Yep. Uh, basically. Uh, I also think that Littlefinger's doomed. Uh, I mean, everyone on the show is doomed because they're all going to get killed. And then what's her name is going to take the kingdom. But it, her name in the is sense Shireen, that, by the way. Sorry, sure. I mean, she's had like eight scenes in the whole show. I'm <laughs> no, allowed to forget her name. They actually but, gave her a really amazing backstory of this this episode, which we should talk about, and that's why I finally learned her name this well, week. Shireen. To, Say just, it five just, times, Simon. Shireen, 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 Shireen. Okay. Uh, to finish my point, um, the fact that his whole role on the show now, as it stands now, is uh, Sansa's guardian. I think spells doom for him, not only because people who guard Starks, uh, bad things happen to them or to the Starks or both, uh, but also because uh, it's it's more interesting dramatically to have her support system uh, taken away and ha- and have her sort of have to uh, enact all the wisdom that she has been given. Um, and also he's going to King's Landing, which is never a good idea. Yeah, but if he's going to King's Landing, he's going to then take on the sparrows who are, you know, ruining his whorehouse and or by extension, Cersei. And between the sparrows and Littlefinger, Littlefinger's going to win. I mean, at least that's what it seems like to me. Um, he's been doing this for a while. And um, between Cersei and the kind of decision making that we've seen her uh, demonstrate over the past, you know, this season and even some of last season and Littlefinger. I mean, I would say that he's more of a snake. He'll get out of it. You know, he'll, he'll survive. But his snakeness has been undermined by his love for Sansa. His emotions will get the better of him. Oh God. You just said love for Sansa. Like it was a positive thing. And my skin no, can't, I... can't stop crawling. I, I, I didn't... Well, first of all, Sansa has this, this, this thing where all the creepy guys in the show either end up marrying her in love with her and or so i mean even roose bolton likes her not roose bolton sorry ramsey bolton likes her at this point well but uh, come on Tyrion, he's not creepy we like Tyrion. you led me to believe that simon and i had opposite opinions on this whole peter baelish sansa storyline and it seems that we think alike because i think by helping sansa go to the boltons and by convincing her to marry the bolton that it's eventually going to lead to his demise and 
it he's gonna die by like next season season six he's dead boom wait where's michael bolton in all this <laughs> <laughs> he's on last week tonight um do, do you guys want to talk about shireen Okay, well, let's talk about Shireen. So we get a bit of a backstory. It actually shows us a very different side of Stannis. It actually makes me think that Stannis is most likely the best parent in this whole entire series because he clearly loves her so much and will do anything to protect her. And I don't know. It was like I, I, I never really ever liked the character of Stannis until season five. They've just done something with this character. They've made him completely – they've completely turned him around 360. He's actually interesting for once. And – I think the actress who plays her is amazing. You know, we always talk about amazing child actors. I think out of all the kids, except for maybe Arya in this show, I think she's the best child actress so far. Um, and uh, yeah, I really like that bit of backstory. It, it, I wasn't really honestly entirely sure what happened to her. Like I knew, I thought she was like cursed or some, someone put a spell on her. I didn't realize it was an actual disease that had to be cured. And it could have taken her life and spread across her whole entire body. So I appreciated the backstory. Before we're giving him too many, you know, parent of the year awards, let's also remember he had her uncle and extended family burned alive. Yeah, I said he's the best parent, not the best extended family member. I'm just saying, maybe she liked her uncle. You know, he seemed like he was nice. Bolton's actually a really good dad, too, to his son. Doesn't make him a good person. Oh, touche. Uh, Simon, do you have any thoughts on uh, on our backstory with uh, Shireen's... It's Dragon Scale, right? Is what they call it? Yep. Yes. Uh, no, not really. I mean, I've always... I mean, I've kind of liked Stannis for a while. He's sort of like the, the uncool uncle of all the potential kings. And, uh, and I, I can relate to that. Well, fair enough. Um, let's then instead let's go back across the narrow sea and talk a little bit about uh, the, the scene we get with Tyrion and Jorah this week, uh, which again for me connects with that what I thought was a fantastic closing fight scene with Sir uh, Barristan Selmy and and Grey Worm. Whether or not Sir uh, Barristan is dead, and I think you guys make an excellent point that if they wanted him to be dead, he'd be like super dead. Um, I do think that this episode really highlights that, yes, Danny needs advisors. We've seen that. But after Barrison Selmy gets so horribly uh, stabbed and injured, if not dead, um, and Grey Worm is struggling as well, she's going to need more fighters. And so sending – do you think Sir Jorah, you know, do you think he this will be enough to get her to welcome him back? No. You want to know why? Because he's a putz. <laughs> he's a total total he's he's the the ultimate laughing stock in all the seven kingdoms he's just such a dick and i think the, the, i love i think my favorite scene of the whole episode is really just Tyrion getting ungagged and then piecing together everything that has ever happened to him uh over the course of about two minutes and getting everything absolutely right and his only repost is to knock him out because he knows he's right because he's just such a useless shit. Uh, I mean, the fact that another that another character named Grey Worm outranks him, it, by you know, by like it, insane leagues uh, in terms of prestige around Danny, I think speaks volumes. Well, first of all, Grey Worm is awesome, so let's not be giving him a hard time. It's not he didn't choose the name. Well, True. he did actually, but. 
only it's a whole thing. But uh, I mean, I, I, first of all, I think that's hilarious, Simon. I don't disagree, but I, I like Sir Jorah. But I also think it's hilarious that he thinks presenting the imp to Danny is gonna change how she feels about his epic betrayal of her. But that's what I was I was talking about this last week with one of my coworkers. I was like. Like, does Danny even know who Tyrion is? Like, maybe she's heard of him, but like, I mean, does she even know what he looks like? Does she even care that he exists? Like, I, I just don't understand why it would matter so much to Daenerys. Like, Daenerys isn't the type of queen that wants to take revenge and kill off all, the, chop off all the heads of all the dwarfs running around King's Landing. You know what I mean? Like, what what is she gonna do? Like, I mean, I know. I know as a, a viewer of the TV show and watching all of these different characters and different scenarios, I know that Tyrion meeting Daenerys is a good thing for Danny. but how does Danny know this? Like, how? why would she just be like, oh, yeah, thanks a lot for bringing me the imp. Welcome back. Like, Because like, she needs a drinking buddy. <laughs> it's not like it's a dragon. It's a dwarf. <laughs> well, and again, we know, we can tell how it'll benefit Danny, but the fact that Jorah thinks that Danny will care is ridiculous. That's what I'm saying, yo. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, and th- thus further proving his inherent putzness. Right. He's very desperate, clearly, but I just, uh, I'm, this is kind of a criticism towards the writing of the character in this specific scene or, or story arc, or, I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Like, why? Like, the writers didn't give me any reason to believe that this is somewhat of a good plan when I'm inside Jorah's head. Like, what I think it's fine. Doing? Like it, it's, it's fine in the sense that, he, I mean, he's, he's drinking himself to a slow, miserable death in a whorehouse. And he takes the only option that he sees. Like it's, it's a fine plan for a guy with no plans. Well, and it's not like this was some scheme. He just glanced over and went, Oh, there's the imp light bulb. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I do wonder if this means that, uh, Varys will have nothing to do for the rest of the season. <laughs> I just want to get a couple cutaways to Varys being like, son of a bitch. Yeah. Well, like, ah, shit. I told it... him not to go to the whorehouse. <laughs> <laughs> They'll have my balls for this. Oh, wait, never mind. But this is another reason why we should not like Sir Jorah, because he broke up our number one partnership this season so far. Like, it lasted three episodes. Thanks a lot, Jorah, for breaking uh, but I'm, up. But I'm glad that uh, just in terms of like the way the show's written, I'm glad that that, that they mixed that up so early. And uh, Kate, is this another thing that they haven't gotten to yet in the books? Um, they have not gotten to uh, Varys and or Tyrion um, meeting with Danny. No. Okay, because it really seems like, especially now that Jorah's got him, if they don't have him meeting her in like the next two episodes. We're all going to be wondering where the fuck the fireworks factory is. <laughs> well, I mean, I kind of want them to get there, and Varys is like, seriously, guys, what took you so long? <laughs> I want Varys to have like figured it out and been like, of course, it's it's the son of the bear up at the wall, you know? Like, yeah, I I, I want Varys to be two steps ahead and just be like lounging um, in the the, the antechamber with uh, with her, with new best friend uh, Danny uh, when they arrive. You I kind actually, of doubt that, but it would be cool. There's no way he's going to head over to Marine when when he doesn't have um, Tyrion around. He's probably still looking for Tyrion somewhere in that city. Yeah, but if if he could figure out that it was Jorah... How? I don't know, but he's a very smart person. He's he has, got spies. Da, 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 da. His Never spies mind. are pigeons. Pigeons aren't going to like be like, oh, by the way, Sir Jorah kidnapped 
Tyrion. Like, no one knows who kidnapped Tyrion except for Sir Jura, Sir Jura and Tyrion. Well, but they could, he could, um, some people in the, the whorehouse could know that who Sir Jora is. Like, we don't, all, for all they know, all we know, he's a regular there. I guess. Yeah, maybe. I'm still trying to figure out the whole Harpy situation because, I mean, this leads up to Marine, and that's when we do get the, it's not even a rebellion, it's basically the Sons of Harpy are going around assassinating the Unsullied, and it leads me to believe that someone must be in charge of this this what if you want to call them like uh, a group of rebels and insurgents or... i would call them insurgents yeah i mean there's got to be someone that's telling them what to do and because we we always get that shot of and i don't think we've we've, we've heard her name maybe we have but you know the lady that's going around sleeping with one of the unsullied mm-hmm. i guess she's like a prostitute and she's in this episode again and so after they do the first kill uh, murder spree where they kill off three of the guys i think you see her kind of like pretend she's crying and then all of a sudden she smiles and smirks, right? So, but I don't think she's in charge. I don't think she's the one pulling the strings. Who's a puppet master? Do, do you guys think that um, this is, as it has been presented, the work of the masters, the former masters who are trying to um, usurp Danny's control and reinstate the old order of things? Or do you think it's a yet unrevealed separate source? I think I really don't care. <laughs> is, is like I like the fight scene, uh, but I am so over the eighteen gazillionth plot of uh, Danny takes over a place. Complications ensue, which this just seems like the latest iteration of. If they're gonna do something wildly different with it, like they're actually Ultron. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't yeah, but there's, totally gonna, there's, there's clearly going to be complications when she walks in and she tries to change everything, including like century old traditions, regardless. No, 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 of... like, I'm not saying it doesn't make sense. I'm just saying we've done this for the last three seasons. Can we please, please? I, I would rather just have every five episodes. Uh, they're all on a boat and there's there's they're making headway or they've taken another city. Great. Uh, I don't need to see the insurgency plot line over and over. And over and over, over and over, maybe not. But I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to position her in a place of weakness where she's going to need someone like Tyrion by her side in order to guide her. And that's the whole point of it. Like it's leading to something. But the thing is, at the beginning of this season, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't it start with them uh, with uh, I don't I think it was the Unsullied or someone took down the great statue on top of like a pyramid or something. Yeah. Okay, so wasn't that like the statue of like the harpies? Mm-hmm. It was. That right? was the harpy that had been erected um, by the masters. So, so <laughs> why would she pull down their statue? So she's like causing, a, like starting a war with them? No, no, it's like a symbol of the tyranny of the the wealthy. You know, this is giant golden statue, and it's it's supposed to be reminiscent of of things that we've seen in our, you know, modern culture, uh, as well as just a symbol of the old order is gone. Now we live in a time of equality of all peoples in Marine. Okay, so basically, then that leads me to believe that the Sons of Harpy are basically most likely working for the wealthiest people in Marine who want to take back yeah. the city and put it back the way it was before Danny walked in. Wait a minute, guys. Marine? Shireen? Marine? <laughs> 
Shireen. <laughs> you just keep saying that it's not not gonna be fruitful. Dude, she's pulling the strings. I'm telling you, it's right there in the name of the place. Okay. Well, do we have any other moments we want to discuss here? Things we want to to talk about in this episode? I I just thought I wanted to mention briefly. I appreciate that we get some time away from Arya this week. I think that was a good move. Um, again we don't need to see every character every week and I'm I'm glad that, that, that they're keeping some of these strands a little bit more fresh. Like we barely see Danny this week either. Um until something changes like like, you know, we've been saying. Until something changes with Danny, I don't really need to see her until Tyrion uh shows up or Jorah shows up and or Varys shows up. Um do you guys have any other final thoughts about this episode? No, I, just to say that I, I agree with you that we don't need to see everyone every week. And I wish that they would uh, – I wish that they would heed that more. Like even – like I, I would have – like for instance with, this, with the Sand Snakes, uh, like if we'd had maybe one or two more scenes with them uh, as opposed to just having that sort of super villainy introduction, I would have appreciated that and then and begun to feel like they were more significant uh, – in the way that fans do. But, you know, that's just me. I just want to quickly mention the amazing scene in which Jamie accidentally stops the sword from piercing through his body by using his metal hands without realizing it. That was amazing. And afterwards, when he's trying to get a sword off his hand, he had to, like, shake it off. Any any hopes for the next, you know, we're almost, we're at the halfway point. No, we're not. We're almost to the halfway point of the season. Any uh, Predictions or hopes for the next couple episodes besides, as we've already stated, really wanting to see um, Tyrion and or Jorah get to Danny. My only hope for this season is that finally uh, Bronn will face off with an exceptionally smart character who will uh, kill him. And then before his final moments, uh, they will say, well, I guess brains do defeat Bronn. I'm just going to let that sit there. Okay, Ricky, how about you? <laughs> I just thought of that, guys. And we're very proud of you, Simon. I know. <laughs> um, sorry, Kate, what, what is your question? Did you have any, you know, we're almost to the halfway point of the season. Are there any things that we're really looking forward to or hoping to get uh, soon in the, in the next few episodes, aside from what we've already said about uh, Danny? Well, first of all, the number one question on everyone's mind right now is Ollie. I'm still trying to figure out if he really can or can't be trusted. <laughs> I We didn't get any feedback about that. At least I didn't. I'm if you all have thoughts, let us know. Here's the thing, because one of my coworkers listened to the podcast, and she was like, what are you talking about? And I was like, well, didn't he kill Egret? Wasn't he the one that took the arrow, or that put the arrow through Egret? Yep. He killed Egret. Yeah, because, you know. He- She's on the other side of the army. You know, she's on the side of the army that's trying to kill them. I know, I know. But from the point of view of the writer of this show, why did they choose that character, him, to kill Egret? Why not anyone else? Because of the ruined innocence. It's a child. He knows not what he does. Well, that's the point. He's not innocent. Every time I see him in the background, he's giving (laughs) Jon Snow a bad look. I do not trust the character. So that's my number one mystery to be solved. Uh, him and Shireen are up to no good, I'm telling you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe not Shireen. She's awesome. Um, next week, what's the episode called? Kill the Boy. Are you kidding? Oh. No. Next week, the episode's called Kill the Boy? The title for next week's episode is indeed Kill the Boy. Okay, no, they got to be talking about the king, King Tommen. 
Or they're talking about Ollie. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> All right. I guess we'll see what happens next week. Okay. Well, on that note, we're going to wrap things up a little, little quicker this week. I think it's because uh, there's a, you know, we, we, a little more streamlined story, a little more streamlined conversation this week <laughs> with only a few digressions to Ultron and Ollie. Next week, we'll be back to talk about episode five, Kill the Boy, uh, written by Brian Cogman and directed by Jeremy Podeswa. Um, now, Simon, where can our listeners find you and your work online? She said, knowing the answer. Uh, you can find me at Sucker Howl. You can also find me co-hosting the Televerse with you. And guys, just so I'm clear, you got it, right? Braun? Braun? We, we won't let him back for a while, guys. We'll just, we'll keep him, I'll keep him busy over at the Televerse and no more terrible puns here. We got a comment. We got a rate iTunes review specifically mentioning your puns, Simon. And I, not I know, in a positive but, light. But that was a Televerse comment. Okay, well, I guess you guys can go to iTunes and leave us a rating or review in the in the the, the, the Sound on Site TV podcast feed, and you can let us know uh, your thoughts there. I guess people, maybe, maybe I don't want to say that. People get really angry nowadays with puns. Like, what's the deal? Why do you think I do it? <laughs> to, to get people angry, I know, but yeah, it's just it's, it's... angry. An angry viewer is an engaged viewer. There you go. Well, that's cheery. Um, Ricky, what's going on at Sound on Site this week? Soundonsite.org. We uh, cover video games, comic books, movies, TV shows. I uh, host a movie podcast with Simon in which we review genre cinema, a lot of horror films, a lot of uh, art house indie films. And um, it's uh, all over at uh, soundonsite.org. And there have been a number of really great TV articles going up over the past uh, week. Um, some very personal uh, reflections on a couple shows, as well as some of our, our writers' favorite Canadian series. Uh, and um, we got some more good content coming up, uh, original content, as well as our many reviews going up at Sound on State TV. Um, but you can reach me on Twitter at The Televerse. Of course, The Televerse is the weekly TV podcast I co-host with the fabulous Simon Howell. Um, so if you want to hear what we think about the rest of TV, Check that out at Sound On Site as well. And you can always email us, theteleverse at gmail.com if you have thoughts that are... If, if you want to send in your lengthy Ollie conspiracy theories, email me, theteleverse at gmail.com. But on that note, thank you all so much for listening. Thank you, Simon, for joining us once again. We'll be back next week with another episode of the podcast. Mama. Nim, Obara. Will it be war? Prince Doran will weep for your father, but nothing else. We must avenge Oberyn ourselves. Without Doran, we have no army to march against the Lannisters. We don't need an army to start a war. Queen Cersei loves her children. And we have one of them. You may have a problem. A ship's captain who found me in Plankytown claiming he had information to sell. He told me he smuggled Jamie Lannister into Dorne. He's come for Marcella. If he gets to her before we do, we lose our only chance for revenge. You must choose. Doran's way and peace. Or my way and war. I'm with you. Always. Nim?
Obara? When I was a child, Obarin came to take me to court. I'd never seen this man, and yet he called himself my father. My mother wept, said I was too young and a girl. Oberyn tossed his spear at my feet and said, Girl or boy, we fight our battles. But the gods let us choose our weapons. My father pointed to the spear and then to my mother's tears. 